And what's more natural to talk about on Mother's Day than spiritual gifts, right? I don't know. See, it's one of these things that's like, do you try to tie it in? You're like, nah. <laughs> I'll just preach the Bible. Um, John MacArthur references a story from some years ago from a newsletter that was published by the public schools of Springfield, Oregon, which helps illustrate what we'll be talking about this morning. Once upon a time, the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals took all the subjects. The duck was excellent in swimming, in fact, better than his instructor. But he made only passing grades in flying and was very poor in running. Since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his webbed feet to be badly worn so that he was only average in swimming. But average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about that except the duck. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class. The reason was his teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from the treetop down. He developed charley horses from overexertion and only got a C in climbing and a D in running. The eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing class, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but insisted on using his own way to get there. Now, the obvious moral of this story is quite simple. Every creature has his own set of capabilities in which it will succeed unless it is expected or forced to fill a mold that it doesn't fit. When that happens, frustration, discouragement, even guilt produce overall mediocrity and ultimately defeat. A duck is a duck, and it's only a duck. It's built to swim, not to run or fly, and certainly not to climb. A squirrel is a squirrel, and on and on we go. And MacArthur finished the story this way. And what is true of these creatures is in a real sense true of Christians in the family of God. God never made us all the same. He made us to be exactly what we are. He planned and designed our differences and He wants us to function in unique design within the body of Christ. If we don't do that, we miss the whole purpose of what we are. And if we get diverted into something else and don't rightly evaluate what we are gifted to do, we will frustrate ourselves and we will produce less than what we were intended to produce. So we must rightly ascertain and rightly understand our gifts. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Spiritual gifts. You know, you could say that in some circles and get a fight started. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't start a fight this morning. Hopefully, you're not a squirrel trying to swim across the lake. Hopefully, you're not a duck trying to run a race against the rabbit. We want to find out today. And let me be very clear. This is not going to be an exhaustive study in spiritual gifts. And I'll reference that a few times. This is a study on spiritual gifts as focused in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We will cover what the Bible says in other places about the gifts briefly. We're not going to get in-depth and into a row this morning about tongues and prophecy and interpretation and who's what and what's what. Hopefully you'll see the point of what we're talking about as we progress through it. So if you would, let's stand. We're going to read Romans 12, 1 through 8. And our focus in the message will be verses 6 through 8. The Word of God for the people of God. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. God, we are glad that you are the architect of the body. We are glad that you have chosen to gift us in specific ways. And I pray that as we look into your word this morning, God, that we would not stir up strife and controversy. But God, there would be peace and harmony and joy knowing that we have been fitted together by your sovereign hand. Help us to see what we need to see and help us to do by the power of your Spirit what we need to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So like I said, we'll start in verse 6 this morning. We actually read the first part of verse 6 last week, but we'll start here again at the beginning of verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, first off, as always, we need to keep in mind the context of what this verse is in as we start this passage. We've moved from the doctrinal deeps of chapters 1 through 11 into the doing of deeds in chapter 12 and following. And in moving from doctrine to deeds, which always remember, your doctrine is to inform your deeds. Read the book of Titus. We learn sound doctrine for the purpose of doing good deeds. You cannot rightly do good deeds without sound doctrine. Amen. I grew up and in my early church days there was a refrain that was echoing off the walls of church buildings that said, we don't want doctrine, we just want Jesus. Yikes. I said it several times and I was wrong. Right doctrine produces right deeds. Without it, you will not do biblical good deeds. You may do something to pacify yourself. You may do something to impress other people, but you will not be operating in the Spirit of God without sound doctrine. So, chapters 1 through 11 inform chapters 12 and following. That is so, so, so important. Strikes me, the first thing that he addresses moving from doctrine to deeds was what? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. So the first thing he addresses is our minds. We've got to think rightly. We've got to have this organ the physical and the spiritual organ of our mind, rightly attuned to the Word of God. And as our minds are renewed, we are told to test and discern what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. And then in verse 3, now that we're thinking rightly, we're told not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. So we move from our minds to ourselves So in moving from doctrine to deeds, we have to have our minds renewed so that we have a right apprehension, a right understanding of ourselves, which seems weird to me, but if I'm not out of the way, I can't focus on other people. So we're told to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment and to think according to the measure of faith that God has allotted to us by His grace. So line those things up. When we talk about doing deeds that our doctrine produces, the first thing the Holy Spirit through Paul addresses is our minds, telling us to think rightly, soberly about ourselves. Why? Because we are not designed in our new birth to be independent individual Christians. And I said that last week and was rather emphatic about it. No, we are members who together make up a body. Now again, get that. We have been saved and placed in a body, not as an individual member that exists for itself, but a member that exists in the whole for the mutual good of the body as a whole. Which is really interesting because he addresses our minds, 
then he addresses ourselves, and then he goes to the church. There is no biblical Christianity without the church. I don't need the church. It's me and Jesus. Not biblically, you don't. And again, you see the progression here. We move from 11 chapters of doctrine into chapter 12, and he addresses our minds, ourselves, and then the body of Christ, which makes this pretty doggone important. And it's not all the individual's fault when they cast off the church. Sometimes the church has done wrong things. I'm going to get off. I better stop. We have to have the church. You cannot be a biblical Christian without being a part of the body, which includes submitting yourself for discipline, for accountability, and for the mutual edification of the people that you live life with. That's why we do covenant membership. It's a big deal. And it's meant to be a big deal. It's a big deal to Paul. It's a big deal to the Bible. It's a big deal to the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal to us, hopefully. Sorry, I got off on a rabbit trail like a squirrel or something. That's my gift, to chase rabbits on squirrel trails or something. (laughs) For the mutual good of the body as a whole, as a whole. So we cannot think rightly about both the body and our place and our function in it. We have to think rightly. I said that wrong. We have to think rightly about both the body and our place and function in it. We cannot... Cannot, cannot look through the lens of individualism or selfishness if we are going to understand the gifts that we will look at today. Now, did you hear what I just said? So many times the emphasis in spiritual gifts, messages, and teachings is about me, 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 my, 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 my gift. And if you are looking through a selfish lens this morning, you will not hear what Paul is writing in this passage. Cannot look through the lens of individualism or selfishness. If we are looking and trying to understand what our spiritual gift is so that we can know it and proclaim it, I have the gift of... We miss it from the beginning. Romans 12, 4-5. I want to remind us of that. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You see that? You see that last phrase? Individually members one of another. Please cement that in your heart and mind as we proceed. Okay? We are individually members one of another. Now back to verse 6. We see that in this body we have gifts. Now what's that mean? The word for gift or gifts here is charisma. Anybody got any charisma? It's translated as gift or free gift. It comes from the Greek word charis or charis, which is grace. C-H-A-R-I-S is grace in the Greek New Testament. So these are grace gifts. The word charisma means grace or gifts denoting extraordinary, or for those who would rather say extraordinary. Grace or gifts denoting extraordinary powers, distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating on their souls by the Holy Spirit. Now that's, that's a pretty loaded definition. <laughs> a few things to notice about it. First, understand that the basis is what? Grace. The basis of these gifts are grace, which means you don't earn them and you don't deserve them. You don't attain to them. You don't climb a ladder and get better gifts later because you did better later. Grace means what? You didn't deserve it. It's a gift. And let me tell you what. I've ran in circles in the past 
that tell you to look for certain gifts, try for certain gifts, try to attain to this gift, practice this gift and maybe you'll get it. Now, I don't want to be overly combative about this. Again, I don't want to stir up strife and controversy. But if a gift is given to me by the grace of God, did I do anything to earn it or deserve it? Okay? These are grace gifts. I think I can move on from that. Grace. Just like the measure of faith that we're supposed to think according to, these gifts are a direct result of God's grace, not our striving or achievement. Grace gifts means they are freely given by God according to His grace. Now, another thing to look at in this definition is the word extraordinary. Extraordinary. Word of warning here. Don't get caught up on that word and misunderstand it. It's not saying fantastic or showy. Extraordinary means extraordinary. And what I mean by that, it's more than ordinary. So when the definition says extraordinary powers, it means there is power there more than there would ordinarily be. And that's the point of the grace gifts. They are ways that the power of God is shown more than usual in your life. It's above and beyond normal or ordinary when you operate in it. We do the act and the Holy Spirit empowers it so that it's extraordinary. And since it's the life and power of God moving in and through you, what do you do with it? Do you receive it? Do you receive this gift? Are these grace gifts about receiving so that you can say you have them? Ooh, look at this gift God gave me. No. Again, let me be clear. It's never about receiving a gift for yourself. That's not what these gifts are about. Think rightly. Think soberly about yourself and understand that we are individually members of one another. These gifts are not about you receiving them or having them nearly as much as they are about you giving them. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So if I'm given a gift by God, He probably wants me to give it away. That's exactly what we're talking about here. It is better to give than to receive. So these gifts are about you giving them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, what does the passage say? Let us use them. And this using is the giving away of the gift that you have been given. Now, to me, the key word for this text is use. U-S-E. Now, you know what use means, right? Everybody knows what use means. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Your gift is to be used. And it is to be used in the body and for the body. Have you ever known somebody who had something that was wonderful, beautiful, or extraordinary, but they never used it? Now, it may not be wonderful, beautiful, or extraordinary, but how many of you have a treadmill that's now a clothes hanger? Right? Huh? Yeah, no, actually, I use mine. Yeah, I did. So you've got it, but you don't, you don't ever use it. And how many times have you heard somebody say, I wish I could just get that thing out of here? Hmm. How about this one? Anybody see Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Huh? Bueller. I don't suggest it, but it is funny. Okay? And there's a scene in it. Ferris Bueller's friend Cameron is talking about his dad's 1961 Ferrari 250 GT SWB California Spider. For those of you who haven't seen that movie, Cameron talks about his dad treasuring that car this way. The 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California, less than 100 were made. My father spent three years restoring this car. It is his love. It is his passion. Ferris, my father loves this car more than life itself. Ferris, he never drives it. He just rubs it with a diaper. Now, I won't give away what happens to that car in case you do want to watch that movie in some edited version. Christians. 
He never drives it, he just rubs it with a diaper. Why? Less than a hundred were made. It's precious to him. It is his. It is his pride and joy. It is his passion, he says. But it's a car. And you're supposed to drive cars. Right? Right? Here this wonderful, beautiful, extraordinary car sits on display in this garage, capable of amazing things, capable of bringing joy and exhilaration to those around it, but it just sits there getting rubbed by a diaper. Like so many of us in the church. And please understand, this is about... Okay, yeah, you know what I mean. This is about so much more than Sunday morning or Wednesday night meetings, by the way. This is about life together. All of life as the church. Listen to me. You, Christian, have been given grace gifts to use to bless those around you in the body so that we can all mutually benefit each other and grow up into maturity for the glory of God. Use your gift or your gifts. But what gifts, right? What are they? What do they look like? How do we use them? Let's look at the rest of the passage. And it starts out with a doozy. If prophecy in proportion to our faith... Thanks, Paul. Hold on, let me go to... Oh, I've lost my place, sorry. The one who... Back one more. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there are seven gifts listed here. We see prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing, leading, and acts of mercy. Now, here we go. Are you ready? There are other lists in the New Testament as well. And I want to share them with you. I want to read through them quickly. And we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of, capt- he led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave, here's the gifts He gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, did you see the gifts listed there? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are people given as gifts to the church. Now, the next list that I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read verses 4 through 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Boy, that is thick and rich. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. One more passage, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's a whole big bunch of information that we're just not going to cover this morning. We don't have time. Okay? I want to show you, see if this works. Come on. Come on. Is it going to work? I think it's going to work, maybe. It's thinking about it. Hey, there it comes. You can't see that, can you? Great. Fantastic. I'll share that on Facebook. It's a chart. It's a spiritual gifts chart that goes through what we looked at in Romans, what we looked at in 1 Corinthians 12, what we looked at in Ephesians as gifts listed in the New Testament. Now this chart does not include the first Peter passage because the first Peter passage just says, He who speaks, he who serves. So there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Okay, that's how Peter breaks it down. Now, one other thing that was mentioned in the first Corinthians 12 passage, there are also sign gifts. So you've got sign gifts, speaking gifts, and serving gifts. That's three ways to remember it. Okay, three words to remember it. Now, quickly, as quickly as I can, there are two basic camps about the gifts. There are continuationists who believe that all of the gifts are still in operation. And there are cessationists. Cess, not cesspool, but like cease. Some of the gifts have ceased. The cessationists would say that the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, have ceased. That they were for the purpose of affirming that the apostles were actually apostles. And that once the apostles were gone and we had a completed canon of Scripture, we don't need sign gifts anymore. So you've got continuationists and cessationists. And that debate has waged for 2,000 years now. So we're not going to solve it this morning. Okay? We're just not going to. I could tell you my opinion, which I don't like to do from right here for sure. I would definitely love to talk to you about it. But I want you to know that there are actually those two camps. Continuationists, cessationists. There are some people who call themselves soft cessationists. Who believe that, and this is the caveat that soft cessationists always give. God can do whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it. But it doesn't seem normative that the miraculous gifts are still in operation. Those are soft cessationists who've kind of got a foot in both camps. I want you to know that that debate exists. I also want you to know that's not what Paul's talking about this morning. Okay? So we don't have time to get it, but that's real. And those are things that we need to dialogue about, things that we need to talk about because there's a lot of misunderstanding. But one thing I also want you to hear is in all of those passages that we read, what was the purpose of the gifts? For the common good. I've got this gift where I build myself up in my private place. I I didn't see that, okay? Now listen, there is a place and a time to build yourself up, but for what purpose? For the common good. That's what we need to see as of first importance this morning. Those who have gifts, let us use them. And who has a gift? The answer to that is everybody that's got the Holy Spirit has a gift. So if you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have a gift. If you have a gift or gifts, you are supposed to use those gifts for the common good. That's the point of spiritual gifts. Not arguing about who's right and wrong. Cessationists or continuationists. Or soft cessationists who think both people are right. Or that both are wrong. One thing that I will say is this. If you look at the dates that these letters were written, and I, think, I do think John MacArthur... Now, John MacArthur is a strict cessationist. He says this, if you look at the dates that the letters were written, 1 Corinthians was written first. Romans was written after 1 Corinthians. Ephesians was written a few years after Romans. And 1 Peter was the last of these books written. And what does Peter mention? Speaking, serving. And we can break it down that way and feel pretty good about it. Okay, And again, MacArthur would say that means that those sign gifts were fading away. I'm not here to address that this morning. But I want you to know something to think about. Okay, 
You say, well, you're tipping your hand. I'm not really. I'm really not. Just something to think about. When we are looking to build up the body and encourage each other, we can think about speaking and serving and be all right. That's my point in saying that. So, we are going to be focusing on the Romans gifts because we're studying Romans right now, right? First thing I want to point out is the fact that the words for gifts that we've seen in Romans is charisma, which means grace gift. Now, the word in 1 Corinthians is pneumatikos, which means the spirituals. So it's a different word. In Ephesians, the word for gift is doma, which means gift. And the passage in 1 Peter, which isn't covered by the chart there, as each has received a gift, the word is charisma, same as Romans. So four passages, three different words for the gifts. Grace gifts, the spirituals, and gift. And I think it just shows that these enablings and gifts are shown in different ways as gifts, as spiritual signs, as grace gifts. And here in Romans, again, it's charisma, the grace gifts. And the list that we have in Romans is prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing, leading, and acts of mercy. So let's survey these as quickly as we can. Everybody's already thinking about hamburgers and hot dogs. I know how that works. Because so am I. (laughs) So prophecy. And boy, again, now that's a humdinger to start with, isn't it? Prophecy. What is... Prophecy, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. The Old Testament prophet was one who spoke for God. Think, thus saith the Lord. This is what God said. This is what God is saying. That's what the Old Testament prophet did. Now, is that what's being talked about here in this list of gifts? And the answer is yes and no. The word for prophecy here is propheteia, and it means to communicate the mind of God to other people. Now, how is that done in our time? Do people receive direct revelation from God and communicate that to other people? No. Let me, let me repeat what I just said. Do individuals receive direct new revelation from God and communicate that to other people? No. Now, I need you to hear what I just said. The mind of God has been clearly seen and is totally communicated through what? Through the Scriptures, through the Bible. If there is to be prophetic work done today, it will be as one communicates God's mind as revealed in the Scriptures. And again, I know wholeheartedly some people don't agree with that. And I'll address that in just a little bit. So stay with me. But I hope 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is in your mind somewhere. It says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now here we see that the Scriptures, the breathed out words of God... Teach us, reprove us, correct us, train us in righteousness, and make us complete and equipped for every good work. These same scriptures are used in the prophetic work of our days. We are not those who are looking for a new word from God because we have a completed canon of scripture. The self-proclaimed prophet who says God told them something had better be consistent with and steeped in the Bible or they are no prophet. And going back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, if someone comes and says, God told them where you're supposed to live, who you're supposed to marry, or what color your toothbrush you're supposed to have, you can ask them what book, chapter, and verse they got that from, to which they will have to say, oh no, God just told me. And if this were in the Old Testament period, we would simply stone such a one. But in our day and time, we will just know that God has equipped us to discern His will and we don't need special revelation to know these things. I don't need a prophet to give me a special word from God. I have God's Word to tell me everything I need in order to know and do His will. But I do need those in the body who will declare to me the mind and heart of God through that Word, which is what the gift of prophecy is. And how is that to be exercised? In proportion to our faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's Word. 
Now that's hard hitting, y'all. It's plain spoken. But if you're going to exercise the gift of prophecy, you better do it according to the faith that you have in the finished, completed Word of God and nothing else. Now, what other gifts do we see? If service in our serving. This gift is a far-reaching and has wide implications. Serving can be a myriad of things. And now, does that mean only those who have the gift of service are supposed to serve? No. Everybody's supposed to serve. That's what we do in the body. But some people just seem to really serve. They seem to be those who are just, wow, God really uses that person to serve me, to serve others. Man, everywhere I look, they're serving, they're serving. And I could point you out by name this morning. I'm not going to do that. But there are some people who are just servants. And God empowers and enables their service so that it is literally supernatural. And it's not about the amount of serving that they do. It's the effectiveness of the serving that they do. A prophet can want to be heard for his many words, but it's the power of the word that he speaks that shows the prophetic gift. It's the one who serves and people are blessed and encouraged and drawn closer to God that exhibit the spiritual gift of serving. And how do we exercise the gift of serving? In our serving. <laughs> I mean, that seems redundant, but it's not. We can talk about serving all we want to, but you actually use the gift when you serve. Well, you know, I just, I just like to serve people. Well, what are you doing? Talking about how I serve people. That's not serving. Serving is serving. But remember, we're talking about extraordinary demonstrations in our grace gifts here. Extraordinary Man, it's just really a blessing when this person serves. God places people in the body and equips them to serve in their serving in an extraordinary way. Next, the one who teaches in his teaching. Boy, isn't that a prophet? Nope. There is a place for systematic teaching. There is a place for lay it out in order teaching. And that is different from the prophetic ministry. The prophet gets up and speaks the mind of God, fiery, hot, from the Word of God, and then the didactic teacher lays it out in order and says, okay, let's learn how to apply this to our lives. Can somebody be both? Well, I hope so. Doesn't mean you have to be. There are some people who will sit down in a classroom or across a table from somebody one-on-one -on -one and teach their guts out that would never stand up here and do what I'm doing. Not that a prophet has to stand up in front of everybody either, but usually it's a crowd that a prophet's railing against. <laughs> But teachers, how do, how, how do teachers serve extraordinarily? They serve in their teaching. And we're all called to teach. You're teaching somebody. I promise you are. Amen. But some people have a supernatural... To, you know, mom, mom's teaching, right? It's Mother. See, I just... Thank you. I just tied this message into Mother's Day. But it says in His teaching. So what do we do with that? Now we're gender fluid. Great day. No. Uh, I'm going to get my license revoked to think careful. Uh, so the one who teaches in his teaching. So this is a systematic... Somebody that can just take a truth and break it down and you go, Oh, okay, I get it, I understand it. And some people have that gift. That doesn't mean you shouldn't teach, but the one who teaches should really exhibit that gift in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. Exhorting is the word parakaleo. Now, does that sound familiar? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We saw that it meant to call to one side. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Remember that? That Paul was appealing to them. And we saw that it meant to call to one side. It was the same word that is used to refer to the Holy Spirit, who's called the paraclete. So to exhort is to call one to one side, to encourage and entreat them to go above and beyond where they are. And if you have this gift, you do it in an extraordinary way. Somebody just really pushes me to be better. Somebody just really encourages me and says, Come on, look what I'm doing. Do what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is better and it's more advanced than what you're doing. So come up alongside me. Jesus had the gift of exhortation. He had all these gifts. But what did He say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
That's what exhortation is. It's, hey, let's put the yoke on together. I'll put you right up beside me, call you to my side, and I'll help you do the work. I'll probably do the bulk of the work, but I'm going to encourage you to push on and do better and do more than you've ever done before. And the person who exercises this gift does it how? In his exhortation. So the person that stands back says, well, I don't really want to call somebody out. I don't really want to, I don't really want to tell somebody. You probably don't have the gift of exhortation. That's not wrong or bad, but we are all supposed to exhort each other. Parents, you're supposed to exhort your kids. You're smarter than that. You're better than that. Come on, you can do better. That's exhortation. So that is exhortation, which is my favorite word in the list, by the way, if you haven't picked up on that. To exhort in an extraordinary way. To the one who contributes, that's giving. Giving. And we've talked about giving quite a bit recently. Contributing is giving. Giving can be financial. It can be material or it cannot be material. It can be time. It can be goods. It can be... But it's mostly material. We can give in a lot of ways, but the one who is grace-gifted to give, gives stuff and things and tangible things that they can hand somebody and say, I want to give this to you, even if it's the last thing they have. The widow's mite, right? She dropped in copper coins, all that she had. I would say she had the gift of giving, would be my guess. And some of us know some of these people. I don't have this gift, y'all. I'm going to be honest with you. doesn't mean I don't give. I mean, doesn't mean I don't give. I do give, but I don't have this gift. It's this giving hilariously that we talked about a couple Wednesdays ago. It's not really my nature. And God's shaping me and for me. We've, we've given for a long time. And I do enjoy it, but this is not my strong suit. I'll tell you that right now. The one who gives, contributes, do it how? In generosity. And I tell you what, giving's kind of like a fever. You catch it and you can't get rid of it. I'm working on it. Just being honest with you. I'm not there. The one who is grace gifted to give is to do so in generosity. And again, we could say hilariously. Sticking with the Corinthians passage. The one who leads with zeal. Leading is a grace gift in which people preside over and protect a group of people and set an example for others. And it is to be used with zeal or passion, enabled by God's grace to extraordinarily set that example. Anybody know anybody that's just a leader? Now listen, as I say that, be careful. Spiritual gifts are not about your talents. You use your talents... That's a given. And those talents may be extraordinarily enabled by the Holy Spirit to be shown as a gift, but I despise, and I'll talk about this in a minute, I despise these inventories and these lists and these surveys that say, take this survey and find out what your spiritual gift is. Because you know what it's asking you? What What are your talents? What do you like to do? These are the things you should be doing. Not necessarily. And we pigeonhole ourselves and say, well, this thing said that I've got the gift of mercy, but I hate people. (laughs) Well, guess what? You probably don't have the gift of mercy. Am I saying don't fill out those surveys? Yes. Yes, I am. There, I said it. Have have you ever... I mean, there's, (laughs) there's a quiz and a poll for everything on Facebook, right? Which pizza are you? I don't know. I I like pepperoni, so I guess I'm a pepperoni pizza, right? I, there was one, which Marvel superhero are you? And, and like, it asks you what your favorite color is. So if I pick green, I'm probably going to get the Hulk. You see what I'm saying? And that's what these spiritual gift inventories do. They ask you what you like, what your preferences are. Now go do that. Oh, I say no. So when I say the one who leads with zeal, there are people who are leaders within the body of Christ who would never be leaders out in corporate America. They're humble, they're quiet, but they lead with zeal and they say, follow my example. So be careful with this taking your test thing. I I think leads kind of shows us that. There are a lot of quiet leaders, but they lead with zeal. So just because they're CEOs and we're guilty of this in the body of Christ, this guy's a CEO, he should be an elder in the church. Well, no, not necessarily. Maybe. But just because he leads in corporate America doesn't mean he's going to be a good leader here. Leading with zeal, extraordinarily enabled by the Holy Spirit. That's what leading is about. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
Acts of mercy implies helping people in need, people in, a, in an affliction, and drawing them out of that affliction in a compassionate and caring way. Now, should everybody show mercy? Yes, absolutely. But some people just really... Man, the Holy Spirit works in them and through them. You say, man, that, that, was a, that was a blessing. That drew me closer to the Lord. That encouraged the people around me. I think that joker's got the gift of acts of mercy. See the difference? Again, it's not about what you like or want. It's not about what you're naturally gifted in. It's about, wow, this is how this person serves the body of Christ time and time and time again. And God uses it in an extraordinary way to bring people along to maturity in Christ-likeness. That's spiritual gifts. And I love the fact that he's like, if you have the gift of exhortation, exhort people. Right? I mean, he just he's saying... Do what you're supposed to do and watch what the Holy Spirit does in reaction to it. Acts of mercy are supposed to be done with cheerfulness. That gets back to the acts of mercy, but I don't like people. No, it's that, man, I really, really, man, I, I employ this gift and I really enjoy it. There should be cheerfulness there. Those who are gifted to be merciful people are enabled by God's grace to care for the downtrodden with cheerfulness that is extraordinary. Now, I hate to run through this discussion so quickly. I'd love to spend some more time digging in and dissecting prophecy and tongues and supernatural enablements and completed canon and who's right and who's wrong, but that's not what Paul is doing here. Our main goal in expository preaching is to find the author's intent and see what it means and how it applies to our lives today. What is the author saying What does it mean? What did it mean to the original hearers? And how does it apply the principles that are set forth? How do they apply to our lives today? What does it say? What does it mean? Not, what does it mean to me? Punt that out of your vocabulary. That is not exposition. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean for me? Is probably better. What? What would it mean if you were dead? What would it mean if I was dead? It would mean that I was dead. It'd mean the same thing, right? <laughs> so the principle inherent here is what we're looking for. We're looking for what was Paul saying to the Romans? Why did he list these gifts in this passage in this flow of thought? That's what we're looking for. That's why we're not going to spend any more time than we did on the other passages. Listen, I'm all about, and y'all have seen, I'll throw other scriptures up there to support what I'm saying. We just don't have time this morning to get into all of it. So we'll focus on what Paul is saying, the authorial intent, and see how it applies to our lives today. And cue Bob and Larry, right? Cue QWERTY. And so what we... What Paul is saying by the Holy Spirit in our passage today is really pretty clear, right? If you got a gift, use it, and use it for the common good. That's, That's what he's saying. So, let's take that principle, let's take that thought and look at application, okay? First application point. First two application points are gifts are not or should not. The last two gifts are, or last two application points are gifts are for. So not, not, for, for. That's how we want to remember it this morning. Gifts, application point one, gifts are not about me. This reaches back to verses 1 through 3 to remind us to change the way we think about everything, including these grace gifts. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, not being conformed to the world in its selfish patterns, and as a result, thinking soberly and rightly about yourself and your gift. It's not too important, your gift, and it's not not important. Either way, we run the danger of making these gifts about what we talked about last week, the Beatles song, I, me, mine. The spiritual gifts are not I, me, mine. That's not what they're about. Any talk about my gift should be very guarded and one should be very careful that, it is their only fo- that it's not their only focus in discussing the gifts. My gift, my gift, I've got the gift of, I've got the gift of. The gifts are not about me. And there's, uh, there's my surveys and tests thing. I won't recover that. We should want to know what our gift is. But trying to figure it out by my wants and my desires and my talents is an ineffective road, it seems. So how do we discover our gifts? Stay with me. 
okay? It's not about me and what I want or what I'm trying to discern. The gifts are not about me. Second thing, second application point, the gifts are not about me and gifts should not create division. And you're like, well, they do. Well, not when they're employed properly. That's my point. There may not be a more controversial or divisive topic in the church than spiritual gifts. But to quote James, my brethren... These things ought not to be this way. Notice the easy, peaceful tone Paul uses in our passage today. He's not confrontational. He's not demanding. Now, he is in 1 Corinthians some. We won't talk about that today. But in today's passage, he's, he's encouraging, he's nurturing. If there are threads or remnants of division as a result of discussing spiritual gifts, then we know that we have the wrong tone and tenor in our discussion and we're not thinking rightly about ourselves. We should be encouraged and encouraging in our discussions of spiritual gifts, not driven into our own little corner thinking we're right and everyone else is heretical if they don't agree with us 100% of the time. If your take on spiritual gifts is divisive, you've got a wrong mindset. So the gifts are not about me, The gifts should not create division. What are they for then? Application point three, gifts are for using. Having gifts, use them. Now, how many here don't know the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to... Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. If you have a gift, and you do if you're a believer because the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit distributes to each one according to His desire, you are supposed to use that gift. Now, let me ask you again, how do you do that? You do it by doing it. You do it by going out and empowered by, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you serve or you teach or you lead or you give or you prophesy. You use it. You take your gift and you use it. You don't rub it with a diaper and put it on display for everybody to see. Look at my gift. Look at my gift. My gift is better than your gift. Well, my gift's not as good as your gift. You see the danger there? It's still about my gift. It's not about displaying it or proclaiming it. It's about doing it. If you got a gift, use it. If you got a 1961 Ferrari, drive the sucker like you stole it. I want you to use your gift like you stole it. Like you're afraid somebody's going to catch you and make you stop. That's what gifts are for. Put the key in and put the hammer down, man. Jump some hills. Do something crazy. Go to Africa or something. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought we are supposed to serve the body. The body is worldwide. Now, should we use our gift in our local congregation? Abso-stinking-lutely. It should be your lifestyle to be exercising your gift in the local church, which is the last application point. Gifts are for use was point three. Finally, point four, gifts are for us. Us. They're not for me. They shouldn't create division. They're for use and they are for use for us. God, now please hear me say this. God is doing a corporate work which may confuse us if we're looking through an individual lens. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why, why do you want me to do this? Well, you're one little tiny thread in a giant tapestry. And if you're only focused on your little thread, you miss the majesty of the tapestry. And God is doing a corporate work. He's not just saving you. Thank God He did. He didn't give you your gift so that you could have a gift. 
He gave you your gift so that you could use it, and He gave you your gift so that you could use it in a corporate setting to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to maturity. And as we grow up into the head who is Christ. Your gift was given to you for us. And again, that's why church membership is important. Listen, I was not a proponent of church membership for years. I thought it was silly. I thought it was wrong. I don't see why I'm supposed to sign on a piece of paper in the Bible. That sounds right. But I am supposed to submit myself to my brothers and sisters. And one way that I can do that is to say, Hey, I am going to publicly display, like in baptism, this is my desire. God has done a work in my heart. This is the physical proof that He's done in my heart. And I want to submit myself to you to the accountability of the elders, to the mutual building up of ourselves in love toward maturity, and I want to give you my life. Spiritual gifts are for us. And if we lose that perspective, we never use them. We just proclaim that we got them. And we miss the heart of God. And we miss the purpose of Paul's letter to the Romans when he says, here's the gifts, here's what you're supposed to do with them, here's how you're supposed to use them. For the common good. Gifts are not about me. Gifts should not create division. Gifts are for use and gifts are for us. Now, I do not expect that I answered all of your questions this morning. Wasn't my goal. My goal was to at least start a conversation that we can continue as a corporate body. Am I asking you to agree with me 100%? Nope, but I am asking you to conform yourself to the Scripture, asking myself to conform my mind and my desire to the Scripture so that I can be corrected where I'm wrong, I can be encouraged where I'm right. Not be divisive. So that I might use my gift for us. So that you might use your gift for us. I'm not a duck trying to be a squirrel or a squirrel trying to be an eagle, or an eagle exalting myself above all the other animals doing things my own way. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ who emptied Himself and took the form of a bondservant to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's that same mind that we have that we looked at last week. And if that's not true in your giftings, your giftings are not biblical. Your giftings are not spiritual. They're natural, they're carnal, and they will not benefit the body. But if you have the Holy Spirit of God, He has given you a gift, and you are to use that gift for the common good. Gifts are not about me. Gifts are not supposed to be divisive. Gifts are for use, and gifts are for us. Let's pray. God, we've got a lot of questions and you have all the answers. We have not seen all the answers this morning. But I pray that we would press on and push on until we attain to that level of perfection that we see in the resurrection of Christ. God, I thank you for a group of people who are willing to love and serve each other. I thank you for a group of people who are willing to submit themselves one to another for the common good. I thank you for the gifts of your Holy Spirit And I pray that we would not quench Your Spirit. I pray that we would be open to totally and completely understanding what Your Word has to say about spiritual gifts in all of the Bible, not just Romans 12. And that we would operate appropriately as Your Holy Spirit enables us. Extraordinarily doing what He does in and through us. Help us to pursue the gifts, yes. Paul would say that in 1 Corinthians 12. But may we trust you to do what we can't do. Trust you to do something extraordinary in and through us for the common good. We ask for your help in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? A good word. Good word. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good 
that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you guys.